Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on whether you're listening to this live uh, via Facebook, via Periscope or via YouTube. We are live on those channels post-match pub, post-match virtual pub, as we are in these lockdown times. Uh, if you're listening to us uh, the day after or a couple of days after, then uh, hello. Um, you are obviously basking in the glory, whether you're listening live or whether you're listening the next day or the day after that, because Arsenal did indeed, as my wife says, do the goals. Three of them, in fact. And we are in the virtual post-match pub. Let's get the uh, formalities um, out of the way first. We'll introduce the team for today. Uh, David Seeger. Dave, how are you doing and what are you drinking? Oh, I'm not actually. No, I've just finished the coffee. Um, my bedtime, by the way. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Mike, um, what are you drinking? I, I'm still spring water, buddy. Sorry. Charlie, just to complete the set. Hi, guys. I've uh, actually got a nice beer in my hand, an Estrella. Um, oh. Just want to quickly, before we start, guys, Mike, I'm loving the look tonight. As a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan, very Bruce Arian-ish, which Thank I like. Just for you, Charlie. And Chris, as a Saints fan, all I can say, chin up. <laughs> I knew you'd have to do that, didn't you? We're talking football here. Oh, no, I'm football, sorry. Not that American stuff. I just had I a good cut of days. I can forget, I'm going to, as I'm sure you can appreciate, Charlie, I'm going to forget that American football even exists being a New, York, yeah. being a, uh, New Orleans Saints fan. Um, I'm going to completely pass on that and avoid and focus purely on the Arsenal. And I have myself, because I'm doing dry January, a uh, Beaver Town um, Laser Crush alcohol-free IPA. So only a couple more weeks and I can drink the hard liquor. And I did wonder whether or not I'd need to be drinking the hard liquor tonight, especially after that first half. But as it turns out, we did all right, didn't we, Mike? Yeah, yeah, that was um, uh, was very much needed. That second half, first half was making me nervous, even though defensively we were sound the whole game. Uh, I just felt we were just going back to just passing the buck and being risk averse. But it opened up, and we started to move off the ball better and take a few more risks, um, and that makes all the difference. And that's so for me. That's the that's um, apart from the defensive solidity and five clean sheets in a row. I think you just posted earlier, Chris. Um, I think the story of the game is that Arsenal um, can really put this, uh, put a run of, of wins together if they can uh, play an entire game, an entire series of games without um, being so predictable and, and risk averse. And, and when they do and they move so fluidly, we see glimpses of the past, don't we? So that's my thoughts, general thoughts on tonight. Yeah, it was an exciting one. And let's just have a quick shout out to uh, Adam Stearman, uh, Karen Singh, uh, Arnie Arnson, Colin Brown, who have uh, stayed up to listen to us uh, drink the uh, virtual night away. Dave, mm. first half, team lineup. Let's just get that one out of the way because everyone has a bit of a meltdown. Um, what did you reckon? I didn't have a meltdown at all. I mean, obviously, I was surprised that Cedric started over Bellerin, but I was, I was... I was fairly confident that Partey was going to start in the same way I was confident he wouldn't play 90 minutes. Um, so, no, I was um, I was fairly OK with the lineup. I didn't think he'd bring Gabrielle in because Louise didn't, hadn't done anything wrong. So, all in all, I wasn't at all surprised by the lineup. The thing that surprised me in the first half, and I, I guess I was educated on Twitter by, by many people having a pop at me, I was very bemused by Partey continually calling for the ball, not in space. So, it seemed to be, you know, hiding, 
uh, too close to his marker. And I was like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And people started saying to me, that's how confident he is, that he's willing to take the ball in difficult positions because he's that confident. And then he's, there's already a man bypassed when, when, when he then plays the ball on. And I, I don't think his teammates are up to that uh, that psyche yet. And it grew as the game went on because um, they were kept bypassing him because they were the same as I'm then, thinking he's not in a good position for a pass here. But as they started to realise, and that's going to happen more and more. So I think the influence of party was obvious on the game, but I think we've seen just the tip of the iceberg. I think once his teammates get used to the fact he's so confident in receiving the ball and then moving it on quickly, I think we're going to see a different Arsenal and it might address the point that Mike's making about the predictability. Yeah, do you know what I found interesting on that? And Charlie, I'm going to let you uh, wax lyrical on party in a second, mate. But what I found interesting about party was... It doesn't matter how close other players got towards him. He always had that little tiny flick away a couple of times. So, you know, when you can draw people onto you and then release the ball at the right time, I mean, it's such a valuable tool. And the second thing I noticed... Well, I was about, making that I missed, I think, you know, early on. I was missing that obvious point, yeah. Yeah, the second thing as well is I feel like he allows the ball to settle into a position when it's near his body. It, it's, it's, I don't know if I'm describing that right, but it's almost as if like, you know where you see players that will then let the ball roll across them and they almost sort of shield it and then move. Well, what I saw with Partey is he's, he's making, he's that confident with the ball at his feet that he knows whether or not he can give it that extra second or not and not lose the ball. But Charlie, I'm going to bring you in here. Uh, let's give you a couple of minutes or a minute or so to talk about um, the wonder that is Thomas Partey. And as Dave said, just the tip of the iceberg tonight? Yeah, I mean, you, I mean, you know, you speak to me quite a lot, guys, and you know at the start, even from last January, he was the player I was saying, every team tends to get that signing that will galvanise your team. Obviously, like, Liverpool had Van Dijk would change their whole team. I think United, Bruno Fernandes has changed their whole team unbelievably, do you know what I mean? And I always said I thought Party was going to be that player for us. And he was unfortunate with the injuries. And the games he did play, obviously... The uh, United game, he, he looked really good. And he got injured again. Even the Tottenham game in the first half hour, he was looking good. He was making things happen. I just thought tonight, he just he gets the ball out of his feet so quick, forward, getting the ball just just, just on the cat straight away. No thinking about it. With someone like a Xhaka or a Ceballos or El Nene takes an extra two touches. And it slows it down. Gets, he just got the ball out of his feet, pings it. And it's not just the ball out of his feet. It's a fantastic delivery. The amount, I know the, the Aubameyang goal was excellent. But he'd done it as well in the first half a couple of times as well. We've pinged the ball across, done another one out to Cedric on the right. I just think he's he's physically what we need in the middle. He, he as Dave said, and yourself, Chris, he, he's very comfortable on the ball. He just drops the shoulder, lets the ball roll, lets the ball don't do the work. And he does it nice and simple. And, and the ability just to get the ball out of his feet from defence to attack so quickly is, is massive for us. And it's something we, we do lack and we do... we. And Aubameyang will get the fruits of his labour on that, like tonight. Aubameyang likes being a one-on-one on a chance like that and running in behind. And we haven't done that enough. We build the play up, pass sideways, pass sideways, allows people to get 10 men behind the ball. It's hard to break them down. And obviously, mm. at home, especially at home, we found that very difficult at the minute. And yeah. that's why they even touching it on the telly about away games. Sometimes we do have a bit more joy because we're not sort of playing with 10 men behind the defence not playing 10 men in the ball so I thought it was brilliant and he's, obviously he's not fully fit at the minute once he's up, up and running playing 90 minutes week in week out I just think I think this team will get better and better with a minute 
Yeah, I mean, that is the hope. Do you know what I would say? So, Mike, I'm going to bring you in in just a second to give us a bit of an overview of what what kind of didn't work in that first half. But um, we've just got on the, uh, the scrolling ticker at the bottom, if you're listening to us live, um, give us your thoughts on Man of the Match, because I would like to talk about a few players. Um, I'm going to let Dave talk about Cedric, because he loves a, a, a word or two on Cedric, and I did think he was good. We've just talked about party. You've got a couple of goals for a bad man game as well. So we can talk about that. Um, in a bit um, because I think we're going to spend probably a little bit more time on that second half because it was better but in terms of that first half Mike what weren't we doing from your perspective that perhaps we were doing in the second well it sort of goes alongside my first point so I hate to sort of repeat myself it's just um, it's just whether we're willing to take risks and the way that I've always seen football is the first 10 or 15 minutes of the game you should be come out the blocks firing regardless of who you're playing for the most part and you should take risks and try to get ahead because the psychology part of the game is in play where the other team doesn't really know how up for it you are and you can really turn the whole tide of the game in that first part and if you do take risks and it doesn't work and you go behind you still have 18 minutes to uh, track it back so um I just I'm pining for the time that that, that will happen. I don't know that it it, it is under Arteta because I've never seen it, and I don't think he, he he wants to do that. So that's one thing. The second thing is a technical point: is um, there were players receiving the ball. Saka was the main one, and receiving it under pressure, but getting there first, but un unwilling to spin their marker. And I think that that's an evolution that Saka needs to go through because he's receiving the ball often under so much pressure, yet he has the skill and the you know, the game understanding to, to roll his marker, which would open everything up. So we just needed somebody to take that risk. And that was the risk that I, um, you know, that I spotted. And, and it, was, it wasn't just Saka, it was in midfield as well. And Smith Rowe was culpable in the first half. He'd received the ball between the lines. And you think, yeah, turn. And he'd send it right back to where it came from, uh, rather than spin and accelerate and beat a man and commit somebody, opening something for, up for somebody else. So that was my spot. Yeah. So we, we go into the second half then. I thought it was a very, very different Arsenal team that came out. I thought the first half, um, as you've kind of talked about already, Mike, it was we were ponderous. It was it was similar to the Palace. I had real worries that we were going to see the same sort of match. But they came out, there was more drive about the team. I thought we got we were looking to get the ball forward quicker. I think even David Luiz, who I thought was very slow in the Palace game, he still had moments in this game, but they were all quickening the pace up a little bit. Um, I thought we were unlucky to go behind, sorry, to not go in front in the first half because Aubameyang really should be finishing that uh, that chance that hit the post. But, you know, he scored um, eventually. But, um, Charlie, give me some, give me a couple of players that stood out to you from your perspective that you just thought, actually, I mean, we talked about party. Give me a couple of others that you thought, do you know what? They really stepped up in the second half and you could see the difference. Yeah, I think no one could really actually say they didn't play well, obviously, in the second half. I thought they looked better. I think Granite Xhaka over the past few weeks has gone very unnoticed and he's he's just doing yeah. what we expect him to do now, which I'm quite pleased with. I've been very, very critical of Rob Holding lately, but I think he uh, in the past, but I think he's been um I think he's been he's really stepped up, to be fair. I thought Cedric coming today and looked excellent. I thought he, he played really well. I think he's he his delivery is fantastic. I mean, we're not we're not really got that. Imagine if we had someone like Giroud up top now, Tierney on the other side, mm. and his delivery as well. You'd, you'd score hatfuls. But I think I, I, I'm really pleased with, you know, I know we spoke about five clean sheets. It's the first time since 2009, they said on the telly, in a row. So 
And Rob Holding's played every one of those. So, mm. I, I mean, I was critical of Rob Holding at the start of the season. I thought I didn't think he was the level to be where we wanted, if we wanted to progress. I mean, then I'd hold my hands up with that. And I think if he wasn't English, he'd have got a lot more stick than he does. I think he's quite slow sometimes. But in the last, last six, seven, eight games, I think he has stepped up. I think he got that injury. He come back, took him slow to get back into it. And also were very close to getting rid of him in the summer. I'll take the mm. fancy him for some reason. They, 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 they thought the same. But he's, he's proven me wrong. And I'm really glad, to be fair. And I think just having that little chemistry in there now with that British core of Tierney, Saka, Smith-Rowe, Holding, it, it, it's got to be good for the team. Do you know what I mean? Just that sort of, they know the league, they know what Arsenal's about. So I think Holding done well again tonight. So yeah, and Lacazette, Lacazette's been playing well. It's just his little link-up play, little touches. Smith-Rowe gets really close to him and little one-touch passes they have and Saka getting involved as well. I thought Saka had a quieter game today in the first half. I thought he was, he was a little bit sort of it was expected for the young kids, do you know what I mean? But I thought there's no one really you could say had a bad game. But no, I think Cedric, Party, and for me, obviously, Smith Rowe in the second half. Yeah. I, I, do you know what? I'll echo what you said there about holding, um, actually, Charlie, because I have on Twitter and actually on this podcast, this podcast a few times, I'm not Holding's biggest fan. I think he lacks pace. I think he's all right as a deep-lying penalty box uh, centre-half that if we're under the cosh a bit, he's, he's able to nod the ball away. But there was a couple of instances tonight. I still think his long ball distribution is pretty poor. And I think there's a couple of times in which he's knocked the ball out of play when he didn't have to. But there's one time that specifically stuck out with me. And there was a moment when the ball comes over to Callum Wilson. He's got a little bit of space in that second half. And holding, he doesn't dive in. He doesn't drop back. He just marshals and he jockeys him. And I thought it was really good defending, to be fair. It's clever defending. You know, I don't have the pace to... If you if you knock the ball beyond me, I'm not going to be able to, to beat you. But I can move you into positions as a defender where it's going to make it more difficult to you. So he slowly marshaled him out and then the, the move broke down. But let's give Dave... I'm going to bring you in to have your uh, your, your two minutes of Cedric Love. So I don't, do you I want don't, to, uh, I want to give, yeah, the, want to give the Cedric Love? Because he was good No, 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 no yeah, he was good. But I want to talk about... I don't, I don't understand what you've been watching, either of you, in Rob Holding. I do not understand what you've been watching. Barring a couple of games, I think he's been magnificent all season. And his distribution week on week is better and better and better because he knows he's winning on the team sheet. He knows he's got the confidence of manager. So I honestly don't know what you've been watching. I think he's been fantastic for weeks on that. I'll say that. Well, the, other thing I love, the other thing I love about Rob Holding is he never stops smiling. Give me a footballer who plays 90 minutes with a smile on their face. First name on the team sheet for me. And we don't have enough of them, I'm afraid. Uh, Cedric well, fantastic. A lot. I don't want him around yeah. all the time. Well... Cedric, Cedric was very good tonight, but what was interesting, and Mike's obviously more of a tactician than me, when we have Pepe on the side, the problem with Pepe is he's always on the touchline. So when he gets the ball, there's always two men on him. He's always got a cut inside. He never beats them. It's, we know the story. I don't know what happened in the second half, but Saka and Smith-Rowe were alternating. They were switching positions between, but both of them were, were playing a bit further in the pitch and letting Cedric use the, use the whip very, very well. And it worked. And obviously it, caught, it, it gave us a third goal. Cedric, as I tweeted, I, I was told by having moved back to Southampton, having lived here for 13 years, every Southampton fan I know, including their own physio, told me that Cedric can't cross a football for, to, you know, for, for Toffee. He can <laughs> his dead ball distribution is very good and he can cross the ball but he looked up and that was an absolutely perfect you know low hard cross and as you say as someone said earlier when we're, we're lofting these balls along in a month ago we were lofting these high balls in we haven't got Giroud as mm -hmm. Charlie said we need when when Cedric or Bellerin or Tierney 
are beating that man, which they can all do, it's got to be low and hard or across the near post. And the more we do that, the more goals we're going to score and the more joy. So I thought that was fantastic. But I do think Smith Rowe came into his own. He, he kept drifting out wide in the first half and he was taking up the wrong spaces with Saka. Something was said to them at half time, but I thought their interchange of positions was fantastic. And it makes you wonder why Pepe doesn't seem to be allowed to do that when he plays on the right. Whereas Saka, when he plays on the right, seems to have the confidence of the manager or he's ignoring the manager or the manager's telling him something different. But they're, they're both playing in the same position on the pitch, effectively, but they play the game in a totally different fashion. And it's not just they're different players. They're doing different things and taking up different positions, which is one for Mike, I would imagine. Yeah, I was going to say, let's have your take on that then, Mike. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said. And I'll even go, stick up for Rob Holding as well. I think Rob Holding is at the <laughs> top of his game. I think... I've never seen this consistency, level of consistency and solidity. And just, I normally go by feelings rather than statistics. And Rob Holding makes me feel secure, even though he's been up against some quick forwards like Maha the other week, trying to take him on and couldn't, couldn't take him on for speed. Where Rob Holding got back. But anyway, he didn't ask me about that. Um, the <laughs> Pepe backer thing, um, Dave's very clever in spotting what happened there tonight and he's spot on. Um, Pepe needs to play more in field because he's a, he's a finisher. He, he needs to be, uh, well, he needs to be encouraged to two touch finish rather than get the ball out on the side of the box and try to well, slow the game down and wait for three men to come stand in front of him. So <laughs> what, what Saka did tonight is where Pepe needs to be. And Pepe could roll defenders. He's actually, got more of an inclination to do that than Saka, quite honestly. But he needs to play as an inside right, not an outside right. And so um, but I've been wanting and wondering why that hasn't happened for a long, long time. And I don't know if Cedric is the key to that. I, I, I doubt it, even though he had a great game tonight, because Bellerin is capable of doing what Cedric did. And Smith Rowe is such an intelligent footballer and just always fills the gap that needs to be filled. So um, I'd assume that we're going to see Pepe play a run of games because I think the, the club's probably going to give him another chance before they probably rip it up and just chuck it away in the summer to see if they can make something of 72 million. I don't think anybody thinks that that's probably going to come to fruition, but I think he'll, he'll get a chance, Pepe. So a shame that he didn't come on and William did. That was my small little negative from this evening. Yeah. I thought that as well, actually, Mike. I thought to myself, you know, if you think about the upside um, or what what we stand to lose, you know, we stand to lose more from not being not giving Pepe game time in something like this. And as it stood, William came on, had a couple of touches. Um, he, again, he looked like he was playing the game at walking pace at times, and he's had a free kick which has just gone straight into the wall. I didn't really see anything. But I think, but... Thing, I think guys, what it tells you is that whatever we think, Arteta doesn't see Pepe as an alternative to Smith-Rowe, whereas he does see Willian as an alternative to Smith-Rowe. That's why Willian came on, because it was Smith-Rowe that was going off, so he wanted someone to drop into the hole, and he obviously doesn't see Pepe in that position. Willian is his, like, at the moment, unless we sign someone, is his second choice sort of central attacking midfield player. I think that's the only reason. It's mm. a positional thing rather than a, you know, who's in the pecking order thing. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, so, Charlie, I'm, I'm going to bring you in just for a second, mate. So let's talk about goals. Let's talk about the three goals themselves, what you liked about them. So that first one, um, Aubameyang uh, on his left peg, which is interesting because um, he'd missed a couple of chances or he'd tried to create a couple of chances. And I think I've messaged on Twitter just before, about 20 minutes beforehand or just before half time, that 
he'd missed a couple of chances, which normally he puts away. And I was starting to think, should I be a bit worried? Um, he put that one away fair enough, didn't he, mate? He did, and I mean, I think the stick of Bamiyang's had from some people, right? I think we're very unfair. All right, he's not he's not been in good form, but last two years he's virtually single handedly scored all of our goals. And the difference between us pushing and not pushing is his goals, which which is natural. I don't buy into the fact that people are saying, right, oh, he's got his contract now. That's it. He's no. I, I, I think that's a load of rubbish. I think he has just been on a bit of a bad form, a bit of a bad run of form, and you can see. He still had two or three chances in that first half. He's got into positions. It just wasn't clicking for him, right? So mm. and that, that happens. So I think we're just I'm glad Arteta is because I'm seeing people like saying, drop him, don't start him. I'm glad Arteta stuck with him. And the first goal was classic with Bamian. What he does, he was running at the, running at the defender, defender's backing off, done a little drop because he, he, I think he does, he's a little bit predictable sometimes now where he wants to cut in that right and bend it. It, it, it always looks for that a lot. And I think defenders are sort of expecting to do it now. But he went the other side with a left foot at the near post of keeper. And it was a great finish. And you, you could see as soon as he scored that goal, the, the, from the celebration to the way he was running about afterwards, it gave him that little spring in his step again. And then he got his second. And hopefully, them two goals for him now kicks him on. Do you know what I mean? Because we need him. We need we need a Bamiyang fireman. I'm not scoring mm. every week or two every game. But we need him to... When it matters, if it is a tight game coming up now, a bit hard game, Southampton, United, things like that, if he gets that sniff of the chance, we need him to start taking them. So hopefully that yeah. kicks off. The second goal, second goal was class. Absolutely class when it from, from the two young lads starting the party in the middle, out to Bamiyang, down the line. The individual bit of skill from Smith Rowe is exactly what we've lacked. We don't run, beat a player. That's why sort of Pepe, probably the only one you'd expect to do that, and the way he just glided past the centre half, and then to have the composure to give it to Saka, and then just nice easy finish, bottom corner, great goal, and it was lovely to see. Yeah, I mean that first goal. Do you know what's interesting with the Aubameyang one, Dave? Um, is that it felt to me that when he scored that goal, it was almost as if like suddenly he'd realised that he has more pace than he does because in recent weeks it's felt like when he's tried doing that move, either going down the outside of somebody or, or or having a run at somebody, it's just felt like he's been a bit, I don't know, maybe it's just my eyes telling me that he, it, it's almost a psychological, is he a big lead-footed? But mm. he just he just, gl he just glided past the Newcastle defender and just slammed it. Oh, it was brilliant, wasn't it? Yeah, it was brilliant. And and I think also it's a, it, it is a confidence thing that, that will help now because even someone as good as him, we haven't got many two-footers. We haven't got many too many footed players, you know, two-footed players in the team. He is one of them. And yet recently, because his confidence is low, for example, when he's been stretching for something, you know, on one he's going, he's trying to get it on his right foot rather than taking it on his left. So it's good that, you know, that he's confident again because a confident Aubameyang will hit with either foot. He hasn't been doing that recently. So that's good. I think the other thing on Aubameyang is this certain people and, and we've all probably been in this number at one point saying oh maybe we do need him for the middle I, I don't think we do you know not in this formation that is no, his I, I agree. I it's, no, no. it's tough on Martinelli but I think what we have now is a structure that works and I think Martinelli it, it can come on in any of the three you know the two wide positions or up front at any point in the second half what a fantastic first change to be able to make with that pace late in the game pressing. So I think we're exactly where we need to be. The other thing I will say on Aubameyang, going back to that crossing point, a criticism of Aubameyang is he does beat a man when he's on the left sometimes and put a crossing. He nearly always lofts the ball. He, he, yeah. he dinks it back high up in the air. 
why doesn't he ever do that low cutback? Because he gets to the byline and all nearly always tries to dink it up to the far post. Yeah, and whereas he's got all the ability, I think that's something he could add to his game because nominally he is playing on the left and he can be the assist maker as well as a scorer. Yeah, and, and we need him. If we're going to start rising up through the league, we're nine, we're 10th now, played 19. So we're at the halfway point in the season. A uh, goal difference of plus four, uh, 27 points, but we're two off West Ham. We've got a game in hand. So um, it's looking a little bit rosier, isn't it, Mike? But let's talk again. I'm, I want to focus on this goal. Um because you're a champion of the uh, of the youngsters, um, we all know that. So, uh, did it just melt the did it melt the cockles of your heart when uh, you saw Saka and Smith Rowe combining in a very similar way, but on the other side uh, to they, that they did for the West Brom goal on for for number two tonight? Yeah, yeah, it's a beautiful thing, and they just keep confirming and confirming every week that um, that they're the real deal. And you know, as Arsenal and Arteta in particular reshapes his squad in the summer, which I'm sure is going to happen. You know, we need to, well, we need to do a few things, but first, first of all, we need to position Saka and maybe this is his position because before we decide who we're going to buy, we need to make sure there's a spot in the first team for him. Um, spot on. Yeah. So, so that's really important. And he seems to be solidifying that position. And, and I hope it's not just because the other two options are just nowhere near as good. Uh, I would like to see him solidified. Smith Rowe, for a guy that's what's he played four or five first team games, um, is a constant menace. And it's not just a, as a tempo builder, but it's defensively as well. He's got the potential to nick balls. He works hard. I suppose he's a coach's dream because he looks like he's doing everything he's been told to do. Um, and, um, you know, Martinelli, Dave's got it there. You know, some people were calling for him to start. That probably wasn't the right time because that would affect. Aubameyang's confidence when he has been scoring a couple of goals but Martinelli um, will be up there in the Premier League as being one of the most potent substitutes um, for as long as he as he can do those final 20 minutes because he's got more energy than anybody else in the Premier League and willing to use it more so than anybody else um, and that's just three of them there's more isn't there um, coming through and I think um, I would hope that before the season's done that Aziz will have a chance to to show that when they rebuild the midfield in the summer, that he can be a part of it and he can be maybe a te more technical piece to it. Uh, so I hope we have some games where we can we can see him. Maybe the Balogun question's gone. I'd love to see him too, but I think that might be might be gone. Charlie might know. Yeah, Charlie. Um, Balogun, yeah, that, that's, that's, um, I, I tweeted that out probably about a month and a half ago about how he was gone and done and. I've got pelters because in the press about it, about to sign a new deal. And um, that was long gone, to be fair. Unfortunately, Hus Femi um, is no longer here. Messed that up a year ago. And I think he's, uh, unfortunately, he's got people in his ear old telling him to do other things and he can go on to bigger and better things. It is a shame. Um, but it's, it's, it's football. Do you know what I mean? It is, it is when, when young players come and go. Um it's unfortunate, but it is. We've got to work with what we deal with. I do think, though, as much as we are on a nice little run of form now, as well as Smith-Rowe's playing, I think it's absolutely imperative we bring at least two players in this window. And I'm hoping with Ozil going, that does free up. But we do need to get rid of a couple more because of the, the actual squad space and the homegrown. Um, I think we definitely need an attacking midfielder. Ideally, I would like that Buendia. Ben, I can't say his name. Buendia. Buendia. Norwich. Yeah. I think he would be excellent for us. He could play in a variety of positions across the front. Um, 
And I think it's absolutely imperative and all that we get a, a substitute goalkeeper. Because if anything happens to Leno, we're banging trouble with that other fella. So um, I think the club know they've made a rick on that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, supposedly I also got told that um, that David Rare at Brentford, yeah. he was on yeah. the list. And because the same guy was the one who found Runners and recommended him, I sort of gone off completely away from Rare now. <laughs> <laughs> But might make that what you uh, what you want. I'll tell you something. I'll tell you something else is interesting. This gives you an idea of the standard of some of the performances tonight. We haven't even mentioned Kieran Tierney. No, <laughs> just crazy. Every single week he's been our best player for as long as we can remember. Just expected, old Dave, didn't you? It's almost like we take it for granted. Exactly, we take it for granted. And tonight was actually a low key game for him, but he's still fantastic, wasn't he? Oh, brilliant! Uh, just, can't wait till he's our club captain. He's brilliant. He's absolutely brilliant. His energy, his drive that he brings. I mean, it's chalk and cheese compared to, you know, and, the and Leno as well. Yeah. Leno, he just yeah. doesn't he just, I mean, I know he, we got a lot Quite of stick on. in the summer for letting um, Martinez go. But Leno, he's, he's, he was our number one. He was probably our best player two years on the spin before that. And it was unfortunate. Martinez played really well and he, he, he probably wants to move. He doesn't want to sit on the bench. And I mean, I was fully behind the club, but they've stuck with Leno. And that save against Newcastle a couple, a couple of weeks ago, last minute, proved that. A save against Benteke against Palace. He's just a solid goalkeeper. And unfortunately, since Lehman, we've not had one of them, have we? So another thing, Dave, we've taken that for granted now that we've got a good keeper. Yeah, the other thing, going back to what Mike was saying, it, the Balogun thing's never bothered me. You know, I don't know why people know he's so good. You know, if everyone's suddenly watching our under-23s week in, week out, I'm sorry, it's bollocks, right? It's just because he's been hyped up. But whether he is that good or whether he isn't, who knows? The point is, you never, it's generational to get three or four players from the youth team breaking into the first team at the same time. It happened to us in the mid-80s. It's not happened since. It happened to Man United in the mid-90s. It's not happened since. It's so rare. And we're probably going to have three or four who are going to play 30, 40 games for us this season. It's unprecedented. It hasn't happened at Arsenal since 1986 or 1987. That's how yeah. rare it is. And we've yeah. got Smith Rowe. We've got Saka. Tierney's only 23. We've got Martinelli, who's, what, 19, 20. You know, we've got a core of young players that every team in Europe will be jealous of right now. Let's get that right. I make you absolutely right. Chris, mate, before we go, mate, yeah. Can I mention something as well? I think it's, it's, we should mention it. Um, not so much on the game tonight. Um, obviously, with Ozil going, I think we should have a little chat. Oh, I thought we were going to get through the pod without, without mentioning his name. No, I mean, I mean, I, I, I mean I, for me personally, obviously, I wanted him to go, and I think the majority did. But I would just like to say that when we did sign him, how happy I was and how much of a groundbreaking sign I thought it was for Arsenal. And the first few well, it years was. it did. It was huge, you know what I mean? And I mean, I've seen a few people have sort of like give him sticks as he's going, but he, I mean, he was a big part for Arsenal. And then, and it's sad how it ended. Don't get yeah. me wrong, I'm glad he's gone now because I think the future, us kicking on now, will be, gives us the opportunity. But it is sad how it's ended. And I mean, I'd never wish him ill will. I'll wish him all the best for the future, do you know what I mean? Because I remember the day we signed him, I couldn't believe it. I was like so buzzing. We signed Mesut Ozil from Real Madrid. What, you mean you didn't know about it first, Charlie? Were you slacking that well, year? Yeah, well, oh, no, you were about 14. <laughs> yeah, no, no, to be fair, I did know about it a day before, but I, I was sworn not to sell no one, but I was happy about it. Because um, we were linked with Dean Maria at the time, weren't we? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, when we got in, but it was, it, now I wish him all the best in the future. Sad how it ended. I think 
the day Wenger left, he, he was done for, really, wasn't he? And uh, yeah. Yeah. What Mike, what's your favourite Angel moment? Mike, give us a few words. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, just I feel about Mezzanos the way that I guess I felt about Arsene Wenger as well. Just love, love the beginning part, first half of his uh, reign, maybe a little more. But um, just became so bored and irritated with um, all that went on in the back end. And um, I, as much as I love um, the thought of Meza Ozil and what he's capable of doing, his numbers just completely dropped off the map. And the, the piece that just really you know, frustrated me was his constant telling of telling us that he that he loved Arsenal and always used used uh, to use the word love. And um, I don't. I didn't appreciate that really because I know I've got kids and married and I've supported Arsenal over 40 years. I know what love is. And, and that guy, if he'd loved Arsenal, then he would have left a while back because Arsenal were in a bind, financially in a bind. And he was the biggest part of that. And so I'd have been better off with Meza Ozil and I'd have been a little less happy for him to leave if he would have quit telling everybody how much he loves Arsenal because I just never bought that for a second. But it's such a shame. It's a, yeah, he's a generational player that. I think isn't going to be remembered at any of the clubs that he was at as to the level that he probably should have been because I don't think he mm. was really willing to give what it took as football changed. Certainly at Arsenal, when football changed, Meza Ozil just got left behind, but he could have changed with it. He just chose not to. Yeah. So so where I am with the Ozil situation, uh, when Aubameyang signed his contract in the summer, one of the things that he said that Arteta told him was, you know, you can go somewhere else, but here you can create a legacy. When the announcement was confirmed that Meza Ozil had signed his new deal, um, so, you know, he'd been a few years at the club, I generally thought to myself, I sort of started to think, well, that's five years. This man is going to create a legacy at the club. And that really excited me. I've loved watching Meza Ozil, the way that he glides across the pitch, the way that he, he has in the past found space, his vision, movement, all of that. Um, I think massively underrated at times by people because they just assumed that he was a bit lazy or didn't work, make the effort. But you look at some of the running stats uh, in some of his, his earlier performances and he was just a fantastic footballer to watch. But like you, Mike, second half of his his reign, his legacy, if you like, was a disappointment um, because uh, successive managers tried to get something out of him. Whether or not his ego had grown too big by that, I don't know. We don't know the details. Well, we ever know the details. I don't know. He should have, we should be counting down towards the end of this contract and we should be getting towards May saying, what a fantastic servant. He's brilliant. He's been brilliant. Um, you know, he's had his big contract, but he's delivered for us and we're slowly phasing him out, but we've got good memories of the player. As it is, he's effectively become a divisive character and much like Arsene Wenger, in a year's time and two years' time, people will still be saying um, not very polite things about Meza Ozil. Perhaps, maybe like Arsene Wenger, in five years' time, six years' time, people can focus more on the positives. Dave, do you want to say a final word on, on Meza Ozil? Before no, we wrap well, up? I mean, yeah, I mean, really. no, no, what everyone said, I mean, I, I've said, I remember writing at the time, I was actually looking today because I'm researching, you know, some of the stuff I wrote about him over the years. I remember in 2015, writing the numbers in 2016, that season when he we nearly broke the record, you know, just what he was on target for in the early part of that season. If he carried on at the rate he was going at the time I wrote the blog, I think it was about October 2015, if he was assisting at the same rate, he was going to get 31 assists. That's the rate he was assisting at. He ended up, he went from 16 to 19 from October to the end of the season. 
You know, people forget that. He had that incredible season. And people will look back at that season, but it was only an incredible half a season. So th that's the sort of thing. I always think there should have been more. I have games that I've been to. My One of my favourite games to actually be at was the quarterfinal at Old Trafford when there's 9,000 of us when we beat Man United. That was his finest. That was his finest ever game for me. Uh, he literally ran that game from start mm -hmm. to finish in a 4-1-4-1, playing in central midfield behind Welbeck. You know, he, he, you know, he, he, he played Cockerland. He played in midfield. Cockerland was sitting in front of the back four. He wasn't in his comfort zone, and yet he ran the match. So he's done that. I've seen him do that, but I have not seen him do it often enough. And that's why there'll always be this comparison with Sesk, because Sesk took games by the struck of the neck and won them single-handed at the age of 18. You know, as Ozil, people will say his fans, oh, he's not that sort of player. He could have been. That's what I hate. He had so much talent. A player with that much talent should be running games. He didn't run them enough. That's that's the legacy, unfortunately. But he gave me some fantastic matches as well. Can I just and add something, Chris, real quick? Yeah, go on. Just to, on top of David's point there, Meza Ozil had the talent to uh, eventually get one of those statues outside the Emirates. That's how good Meza Ozil uh, was, is. Um, and he's a million miles away from that. That's never going to happen. It'll be Righty Rowcastle or Brady or somebody will be the next statue up. But Meza Ozil... Um, I don't know. I just have this thing about people that have the God-given talent levels above other other people and not fulfilling it just because they just don't want to or they're not bothered or got their money and run, whatever it might be. So he's just not a favourite of mine and never will be yeah. because he 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 um he had, he had a fantastic opportunity to go out as a legacy player and and possibly have one of those statues, but a million miles. What a shame. What a shame. I wonder how much of it is Wenger's fault, though, for allowing him the weekends yeah. off to play when he was sick, to go fly to Turkey for the odd weekend. Now, how much of, of that treatment became in, in Ozil's psyche, i.e. it was OK to take the odd game off here and there? You know, we never know the exact truth of that, but I think Charlie will agree. I think that's pretty much well known within the Arsenal fraternity. Yeah, and that, how much of that got into his system such that when he didn't have that, he couldn't get it back. He couldn't get back into that work rate, that mentality that he had early on in his career. I don't know. Yeah. Well, that's, that's just it. It was perhaps there was a little bit of um, complacency that, that set in. But um, gents, as always, fabulous for uh, seeing you all tonight and doing a bit of a post-match virtual pub in. Um, bit of a shout out to some of the people that have joined us and listened and uh, added some things on the uh, on the comments. So Scott Trent Higgins, thank you very much. Bertie Munn, thank you very much. That was funny, uh, Bertie. David McHenry, um, thank you. Paul Shepherd, Callum Leeds, um, uh, Andy Blake, Karen Singh, guys. All of you, Will Ferguson too. Thank you very much for joining us. We do appreciate it. We love having you around. Um, gents, 3-0 to the Arsenal. Three points to the Arsenal. Um, hopefully, uh, we can see uh, some uh, some nice... We can start looking upwards a little bit more, actually. It'd be nice to it'd be nice to actually move up beyond that, that mid-table point, wouldn't it? But, tough little um, fixtures coming up now, though. A mm, tough group of fixtures. You're right, mate. I'll tell you what, right, here's mate. a testament. Who'd have thought that Gabriel wouldn't be walking back into this team? Well, yeah, who'd, have thought no, that? who'd have thought that six weeks ago? No. Well, some options. He's got some options. Um, lads, as always, thank you very much. Cheers. Cheers. Great hosting, and mate. We'll see you next time. See you all too. Pub. Laters, people.